You are listening to Stitchwish Radio, a podcast for crafting your own magic and threads. I'm your host, textile artist, author, and teacher, Christy Johnson. Hey there, and welcome back to Stitchwish Radio. Today's episode, I want to talk about inspiration. Now, putting together this episode was kind of a challenge because the thing about inspiration is it's, it's hard to pinpoint, it's hard to guide others to. And it's even harder to explain, but having spent a lot of time studying the creative process, I've picked up some ideas about inspiration and about how our artistic practices can potentially open up to new ways of feeling inspired. And I wanted to share them with you. I'm working on a new course, and so I'm diving deep into how we can guide others to their own inspiration without telling them what they should be inspired by, which is always the challenge. So I can't really talk about this new course because of one of my first rules of inspiration, which is don't share your magic beans with the skeptic. Now, I'm not calling you a skeptic, but I think it's so important to keep our ideas safe in the early stages, to keep them from being exposed to thoughts like, you're going to do what? Or, hmm, do you really think that's going to work? Because these reactions can be really harmful to an idea that is fresh and new. It's not intended to be harmful. I've even probably been on the delivering end of this doubt. But we are the only ones who can know through that deep internal knowing whether or not we should do something. And we tend to want to get approval from outside or we tend to want to run our ideas by other people before they're ready to get out. I like to relate this idea to like a newborn baby where you don't want this newborn baby to be like out in the world, exposed to all sorts of stuff, talking to all sorts of people, you're kind of like, okay, let me, you know, make sure this thing is warm, make sure make sure that it's not exposed to too much sun. Like this is a delicate being. These new ideas that we have are very delicate. And so treating them with that sort of gentleness and that sort of um, nurturing and, you know, keeping safe, I think is really important. Okay, so as I talk about inspiration, I do want to reference or I do want to mention that there are probably hundreds of thousands of pages written by philosophers on the idea of inspiration. And I can tell you, I have probably not read a single page of it, mostly because it's written in a way that my non-academic mind is like, what the hell is this even saying? Uh, But also because most of it to me seems pretty overthought in all the wrong places. So I want to start by taking a word, taking a look at the word inspiration itself and breaking it down etymologically. So the word inspiration comes from the Latin word inspirare, which is a word for breathing life into. And this word is closely related to the word spiritus. We have inspire, spirit, um, and spiritus is breath. So this is, I mean, I love looking at the etymology of things. And that's like, even even just the etymology can really start to allow us to make these rich connections and start to get f- into further researching things like that made me want to look into what's the origin of the word breath? Like, how does this relate to it? So when we start to really s- dissect these concepts, even whatever you're looking for, whatever you're researching, when we start to dissect the words and where these words come from, we start to give dimension to a concept within the context of history. Now, because the English language and Latin is based in mostly Western history, that's what we're going to get it from. But it's still just an interesting way of kind of contextualizing a concept. So I find that inspiration, when we are finding it outside of ourselves, let's say we're going out into nature to find inspiration, it can it can really be kind of a two-way street. 
Um, and or I think that's kind of the healthiest way to communicate it. So when I go out to find inspiration from something, I'm not I'm trying not to do this in an extractive way. So I'm not just like, give me what I need. <laughs> I'm going out into the world and I am viewing the world with reverence and with awe. And so when we start to send out that reverence to an experience or a concept or a being, we are often then met with these with the secrets that are hidden in the layers of its existence. So by providing this awe, this reverence, this is providing our full attention, it's providing our full focus on something, we're able to open the door to the potential for breathing in for being inspired in a deeper knowing of what of what this image or concept or being is. Now, just living our modern life, our daily modern life, our attention is naturally going to be very fragmented just because of what we have to keep up with and what, what we have to deal with on a daily basis. So by providing ourselves some time to give something our full attention, maybe for longer than f- feels comfortable, we are able to kind of go a little bit deeper um, and start to understand what that what that feeling of attention, um, how that can really nourish us. So I love that this idea of sending reverence and sending attention to something as a way of that's that's our offering basically. That's the offering that we are providing this natural world or even a book or wherever we're we're finding our inspiration from. We are offering that attention as um, a form of respect for it. Another thing I like to think about when I'm considering inspiration is this balance of intuition and intellect. So this is kind of our like, you know, right brain, left brain, um, conscious mind, subconscious mind. So um, we tend to want to start projects with a plan. And this is our intellect taking the reins. So this is our conscious mind, our, I think, it, what is it, the left brain? So this is quite common because normally we have to start things with a plan. Like, you know, if we're going to go grocery shopping, we want a list. If we're going to put together some furniture, we want some instructions. But when we want to create new experiences, like new imagery, or in any otherwise step outside of what we already know, maybe it's new music, whatever. Um, when we want to step outside of what we already know, which is often what art is for us. Art is an opportunity to create what doesn't already exist. When we start with intellect, when we want to start with a plan, when we want to start with a list (laughs) or some instructions, this can actually keep us trapped because our intellect is going to be giving us what we already know, what we can predict, what already exists. That's what our intellect does. It, It gets information from what has already happened. On the other hand, our intuition opens us up to possibility. It opens us up to new concepts. And this requires some loosening up. When we work from our intuition, we're asking to work from a source that might give us information that we don't already know or that maybe doesn't really make sense to us quite yet. And that's okay. I mean, it's really, it can be really uncomfortable, but that's how we can start to expand into different arenas. That's how we can start to expand into creating new concepts. So the way that I like to work intuitively is to allow designs to flow through me. And so 
it's kind of a I, I allow the intuition to take the reins to take the beginning part of it and then I allow intellect to start to come in sort of on the back end so when I'm working on a new piece the majority of the design part is intuitive so I usually have a, a number of sketchbooks where I'm constantly just kind of sketching little images that I see in my mind. And so I will flip through these sketchbooks until I find something that I've drawn that I'm just kind of innately attracted to in that moment. So I there's no there's usually not any reasoning. It's just like, oh, I like that right now. Um, and that's enough if I'm immediately sort of propelled towards this image. And I'll choose that one. And I will start to allow the sort of colors and the different elements um, of these images to flow through gently. Um, and as I start to develop how this design is going to take form, maybe I'm picking some fabrics. And again, I'm usually choosing the fabrics pretty intuitively. I'm not basing it on like, well, this needs to be this color because of this. Um, it's usually just like, ooh, this fabric is sort of calling my name right now. And so as I start to develop the designs more in detail, this is where I start telling telling my part of the story. So this is the part where I allow the intellect to come in, is in the details. So I might begin by adjusting the number, maybe like the number of corners something has to better support my end goal. It's like, oh, I, maybe that five-pointed star actually wants to be a nine-pointed star because I want to express something that's a little bit, um, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit more um, vibrant than than just like a simpler star. Or maybe that what I initially drew as an eagle might better express my intention by be turning it into an owl. So I, I allow the piece to begin as intuition and then start to use my intellect to hone in the details. So this combination of intuition and intellect is this sort of, you know, back and forth, but letting the intuition lead instead of the intellect lead is usually how I work. I'm not thinking up new designs. I'm allowing the new design to flow through me and then thinking up how that comes out into the world. And it's not because I'm special. I'm not, you know, I'm not like channeling these designs because I'm some sort of a special human being, although we are all special human beings. But it's because I'm allowing the time for this inspiration to flow through by paying attention and getting quiet and listening and, and allowing and giving myself time in my creative practice to not get distracted by every little thing. Like a lot of the times in my studio, it's like, okay, the phone is, you know, plugged into the speaker across the room. I've got music playing. Um, you know, the computer is put away. I'm, I am giving my complete and total focus um, into the space that I'm in. Now, I have to say, this wasn't really um, a natural, this wasn't really how I learned to make artwork. Um, and this was something that I kind of had to do a little bit of untraining, because um, if you've listened to some of the past episodes, um, you might know that I studied painting in high school um, and was in a magnet arts school. So I spent like many hours a day painting. And I always, the way that it seemed presented to me, and maybe that, you know, I'm not blaming this on the teachers that I had, they were amazing teachers. Um, it could have been something that I picked up along the way. But the way that I thought it was, I always thought that you came up with the concept, and then you made your piece of art. And I always had a really hard time finding a concept and my concept because I was trying to force this sort of concept first based creative process. I wasn't able to really create what I wanted to. And my pieces always seemed to kind of like lack anything. And I remember in um, one of my painting classes we were in, 
I think maybe for some reason we were in a critique with like the older kids. And so I, there was a senior whose work I really admired. And I remember him talking about how he would just work and allow the concept to come through sort of on like on the back end. And that was like completely a completely new concept to me. The idea that you wouldn't come up with an idea first and then execute your idea. What he was basically saying is I allow my intuition to guide the piece. I allow my experimentation to guide where the piece goes. And I allow this to be more of a conversation and a collaboration, which I found um, just really kind of liberating where it was like, I don't have to go into this with a concept. My concept can develop over time. And then as I started researching more and more about creativity and the creative process, I read this article, which I wish I could find, um, but I, I don't know where it is. Uh, but basically, it was this idea of why do some artists sort of peak at a young age and why do some artists kind of slowly um, develop their style over time and what was the difference between them? And this article found that most of the time when artists find success at a young age, it's because they are concept based. And so they have these concepts that they're trying to speak through. Um, and so the concept is kind of at the forefront. But when artists who have been working throughout their life, but tend to come into their own much later in life, those are usually exploration based artists. And so they explore the limits of the material or the unlimited um, options of the materials at hand. And I realized I was like, oh, that's, I'm much more of that kind of an artist. I'm much more exploration based. I'm going like, well, what happens if this? I don't, I'm not trying to force the material into a concept I am trying to find all of the different options of the materials and trying to see how that speaks to a concept that I maybe have yet to even discover. Um, and so I'm not saying one is any better than the other, but I am saying that sometimes we can tend to try and work in a way that's not natural to us. So it might be that you are better at exploration-based creations, but maybe you're trying to force concept-based creations, or maybe the other way around, where you're trying to explore, but you're more of a concept person, and so you want to approach it with concept on the front edge. So try both of them. Like Try working around uh, both of those angles. So let's run through the points I've made here, because I feel like I've got a lot here. So first off, don't share your magic beans with a skeptic. Second, reverence and focused attention allows us to more deeply understand what we're inspired by. So we're not being extractive. We're not like, you know, just taking, taking, taking. It's more of when we are feeling reverence towards an ins something we're inspired by. It's more of a collaborative situation. Um, next up, number three, allowing intuition to lead the way, even though intellect generally likes to do so. <laughs> And number four, if you don't necessarily have a concept to work from, simply experimenting with the materials can often bring you to new ideas and new inspirations. So I want to make sure that to leave you with some of my favorite methods of finding inspiration. My number one all-time favorite, always getting into nature. <laughs> and this is, once again, I want to say like not being extractive about it, like not just being like, what can I get inspired by here? But just allowing the experience to be enjoyable. And I, you know, if you find yourself drawn to something, even if it doesn't make sense, like, why would I be drawn to this plant? I see this plant all the time. Feel free to give it some time and sit with it and have that reverent experience with it um, and sit with it for longer than feels comfortable. 
maybe it's not a plant, maybe it's a salamander, or, you know, maybe it's a bird that you're listening to, um, and just allowing that time and that attention, that focused attention, um, to inspire things in you that um, you might not even recognize that you might not have recognized just by looking at it. Another way of working with inspiration is the idea of the muse. So treating inspiration as a spirit itself. So in the way that people would um, pray to a god or a higher power or some sort of being, we can also start to treat inspiration in that same way. We can, you know, uh, um, sort of, I don't want to say personify because we're like, creating it as a spirit so that's not personification but we can we can allow the muse to be something that we work towards to be something that we honor to be something that we provide offerings to um and allow it to be more of a spiritual situation if you know if the word inspiration and the word spirit are so intertwined like maybe there's more to that Um, Another way that I love finding inspiration, which you've probably heard me mention in the podcast before, but is by working with materials that already exist and that maybe have already been cut up and maybe there are these limitations within these materials, like working with scraps. So being able to find an expansion within these limitations, being able to understand these scraps or these elements that have you know, taken on that have had previous lives, um, that can be a really amazing source of inspiration. Um, these these pre existing shapes can really speak to the forms that we are creating um, into the future. Um, another way that I love to find inspiration is by reading mythology that I'm unfamiliar with, um, like cultures that are pretty foreign to me and learning about their rites, about their ceremonies, about their creation stories. Um, and it just opens my mind up to like, wh- like these seemingly illogical concepts where I'm like, what in the world? Um, but this, this way of researching other ways of thinking can really help to sort of silence the intellect. That sounds like a weird thing to say, silence the intellect. <laughs> <laughs> but it can really help to connect us with the with our intuition and open up our subconscious mind to this to this dream world to these world of storytelling and just a totally different sort of illogical way of thinking. Another thing I love to do that's pretty close along those lines is dissecting archetypes. Um, so let's say you know we have these sort of greater archetypes like Venus, for instance, the planet Venus and all of the um, astrological storytelling that goes along with the goddess, the Roman goddess Venus, um, Aphrodite, all of the gods or all of the goddesses that came before um, and sort of starting to understand the many dimensions of these archetypes, um, you know, whether it's what's related to them, like what what makes you think of Venus, like the pomegranate, um, you know, looking in the story of Venus was born from the foam of Uranus um, ejaculating into the sea or whatever, like all of these different concepts and kind of starting to um, illustrate this like super dimensional creature. Um, so we're, we're kind of mining these archetypes and mining all of the connected imagery that goes with them in a way that we are finding and acknowledging all the facets of this archetype before flattening it once again into um, into an element that maybe works for whatever project we're working on. Another thing I love working with is guided meditations. Always help me out with 
sort of getting out of the intellect and dropping into the subconscious and dropping into a space that allows me to access imagery um, in a way that doesn't require an understanding of the imagery. Um, and I think that's really beautiful because we don't necessarily always need to understand something in the way that we have understood it in the past. There have been times when I have seen imagery in a meditation and it's imagery that I see all the time, but it had a totally new meaning to it. And I was therefore able to kind of draw a totally new concept around it. Um, and finally, if you are feeling stuck in your search for inspiration, always moving our body, remembering that we are a body, being in our space, taking up our space, dancing, um, stretching, all of these ways of sort of stepping into our body, stepping into our more uh, you know, primal animal form and getting out of our head, getting out of the intellect. Um, I think that can be really super helpful. I love doing a little stretch or doing a little dancing before uh, working on some new concepts. So I do share a whole lot more about my process for finding and applying inspiration in my embroidery course, Magic Threads, which opens for enrollment again in September. Um, and Magic Threads also includes a guided meditation that my partner created some incredible in the zone music for. Um, I really just I love listening to it, even though it's my own voice. It's kind of weird. But <laughs> the music that he's set to it has been really um, incredible with helping you kind of drop into the zone. So be sure to keep an eye out for when the enrollment opens for Magic Threads and get on the wait list. Um, if you're totally new to embroidery and you want to get started and get your skills going before the course opens up, be sure to check out my Stitched Visions workshop, which is, you can take it um, at any time. And it also comes with a 25% off code for Magic Threads. And it also has a guided meditation, um, albeit without the music, but a really helpful guided meditation for your finding your own internal images. Um, but if you've signed up for the Magic Threads waitlist, you will also get access to the totally free embroidery portal. So start wherever you'd like, whatever works for you. Um, all of these options, Magic Threads, Stitched Visions, and the embroidery portal are all linked up in the show notes. Um, and I want to end this episode with this really beautiful article that I read by Greg Jackson. It's from... Apparently, it was originally published in the spring 2021 issue of The Point. I read it, an excerpt of it in Harper's Magazine. Um, and he discusses the very, as he describes it, the very relentlessly public nature of culture as it currently is versus the private truths or the areas within which ideas can start to get contradictory, complex, and in that way, original. Um, and these private truths are often most safely expressed within the arts. So he's kind of talking about that feeling where you experience, your experience seems to be reflected or nodded at and understood through interaction with a work of art, with a poem or a painting or a quilt or a song. So he discusses how the, quote, cult of politics <laughs> as nearly a religion that has developed over the years, how this this cult of politics has damaged our relationship to these private truths that exist outside of the binary, the way that art allows things to be um, contradictory and allows multiple truths to exist at the same time. So in this article, he says, quote, defending art or culture for its own sake may seem trivial, even gratuitous amidst our present crisis, but our crises have flowered in the soil of its trivialization. I love that so much. Our crises have flowered in the soil of art's trivialization. The vacant secular despair that sends us searching for a religious politics. 
that underwrites the allure of fascism, nationalism, conspiracy theories, and violent fraternal gangs, that makes us long for escapism, entertainment, narcotics, video games, or for the endless, miserable stimulation of the internet and social media. This vacant, secular despair that sends us searching for a religious politics is precisely what culture of this category is meant to express. He goes on to say, Unless we can claw back some sphere of cultural and civic activity from the totalizing force of religious politics, we are unlikely to find venues where we can get outside the rigid struggle of political combat to explore and expand who we are, what we want, and how we relate to one another. And this is the beauty that I find exists in art. This is the beauty that comes to us through nature. This is the beauty that we discover through the accessing of intuition. This finding new possibilities outside of the old ways, where we can explore and expand who we are, what we want, and how we relate to one another. So thanks so much for tuning in. Um, I will be back next week to talk about clothing. I'm going to be diving into the way that clothing is constructed, the way that clothing construction has evolved over time, the way that we developed clothing in the first place, and also how the industrialization of clothing has influenced the cut and fit of our cloth. It's going to be a fun one, so be sure to tune back in. Uh, Thank you so much, and I will be back next week. Bye.